morning. Welcome. I'll take closer. That'll work, Chase. I like that. Uh, so my name is Chris Genders. I work for Youth for Christ um, here in the Metamore area. I also work for Metamore High School, uh, so I can spend a lot of time with high school students, and I love it. So thank you guys so much uh, for your enthusiasm. Um, we're, uh, we're closing out this series called The Road. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying that. It's this journey through Jesus' life and kind of some snapshots and things. It almost feels like a, a Netflix episode, right? Like every Sunday a new episode drops, and we're just like waiting to see what it's going to be like. Um, we've got uh, Justin, uh, who I work with at YFC, has started a, a Friday afternoon Marvel uh, movie drop release. And so at the Youth Center, he gets together with students to watch the latest Marvel drop. And uh, so I kind of feel like that, right? Um, so as we're, we're getting ready to go here, I almost feel like we have to introduce this morning with, you know, last week on the road, right? And we're kind of really reflecting back through what we've gone through. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page, this is where we've been. And then I'm going to close this out here this morning. So we've been looking at the life of Jesus. So we started uh, five weeks ago with his journey to baptism, to the Jordan River. Uh, we talked about his time being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Uh, we talked about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? Uh, that was Palm Sunday. Road to Golgotha, road to Golgotha, the crucifixion. That was Good Friday night. Last week, then we closed out with the uh, the tomb, the road to the tomb, to the resurrection. And so we're picking up right after that. So Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, he's starting to let some people know that, but not a lot of people know. And and so most of the people are still in this uh, place of confusion and chaos and disappointment and sadness and and not knowing exactly what's going on. One of the things that I like to remind us when we study the Bible, especially if you're familiar with the stories, if you know the scripture, it's easy to fast forward through moments like these. It's easy to fast forward through Good Friday because we know Easter's coming, right? We're like, okay, Good Friday, yeah, hey, Jesus died, woohoo, whatever. He's rising from the dead. Whoa, hold up, hold up. Sit in Good Friday for a little bit, right? And so I want to do that here. I want us to, to sit in this moment just hours after Jesus has risen from the dead. Nobody really knows. There's lots of confusion and disappointment and sadness. And there's heartache. The hopes have been dashed. Everybody is defeated and depressed and confused. And there's arguments breaking out. We've all been there, haven't we? Like, I want you to think about uh, some of your times of, of greatest disappointment in life. For most of us, it was our March Madness brackets, <laughs> right? Like, that was horrible. Like, two games in, and we're like, okay, done, it's over. Like, I don't know what's going on, right? But keeping with the idea of sports, you know, anybody ever lost a championship game? Like, you came in second? I remember it was about three years ago, I was sitting with my family at NIU watching Metamore basketball play in the Elite Eight. And if you were there, you heard the stories, you know, you know what happened. It was incredible disappointment, anger frustration, sadness, tears. My family, we went to a restaurant there in DeKalb afterwards, and we just kind of sat in stunned silence. And I was mad. And I'm wanting to message IHSA to contest, and people did, right? Maybe it's, you got the letter that you didn't get the scholarship. Maybe you got the phone call or the email that says you didn't get the job, and it was your dream job, and you thought you were a shoe-in for it. Maybe it's a, a broken relationship that you never saw coming. Divorce papers suddenly slid across the table from a lawyer, and you're like, how did we get to this point? Maybe it's the inability to have children. Maybe it was 
You didn't make it in time to get to the hospital before your loved one died. Like this, this is that space we're, we're picking up today. They don't know the story of the resurrection yet. They haven't seen Jesus yet. And so there's just chaos, confusion, and disappointment, sadness, anger. Let's pick it up. We're going to read in Luke chapter 24. We're not going to have the, the full text on the screen. It's just way too much, particularly for our online people. It'd be, you know, the screens would scroll for hours. But I'm going to, I'm going to read in Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, now that same day, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't know this. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing everything, while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they, they stopped walking. You ever had that moment where like somebody asks you a question, you're like, Are you, seriously? Like you're asking me that right now, Right? And so they stopped because they disbelief, but then they, their disbelief was followed by discouragement. They just hung their heads. And he said, the one named Cleopas answered him, are you literally the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know? That's my own version, right? Are you, are you seriously? Seriously, man? You don't know about this? Are you the only person that doesn't know what's happened these last few days? What things? Jesus asked him. I kind of wonder what Jesus was doing in this moment. Like, is he just messing with them? I feel like he is, right? Like, hey, do you guys know me, but I'm going to hide myself from you. Oh, what are you talking about? Really? Oh, wow. How do you feel about that, right? Like, the whole time, Jesus is like, ha, 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 I know what's going on. Um, but he says, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that, that he was the one. We were hoping he was the one who, who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's, it's the third day since these things have happened, and some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they, they came and reported they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us ran to the tomb, went to the tomb, and found it just as women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are. You never want Jesus to say that to you, by the way. Just, you know, it's a good thing. Don't, don't let Jesus say how foolish you are, but he probably says it more often than we think. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, what he's talking about there is the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the Bible that we know. He started with the first five books of the Old Testament, and then he went into the prophets, and he began to, to teach them all of these things, right? And he began with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village as they were traveling and where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going to go further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table, they're having a meal together, it was as he reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, taking them back to the Last Supper together, the Passover meal. And then their eyes were opened, Cleopas and this other unnamed person, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. 
They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They walked through the night. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. There's some things that jump out to me as I read that in preparation for this morning. You know, it might seem a little odd that they didn't recognize Jesus. You know, here, here's most famous rabbi in the day, like the crowds are gathering around him, and yet Jesus, for whatever reason, because he's the risen Savior, has hidden his identity from them. It's not the first time. We actually see him do this to a few other people at other time. So it's not a, a standalone weird moment, uh, but there's something that God is wanting to do uh, with these, uh, these disciples on the road to Emmaus. It stood out to me, too, that they, they misunderstood who he was. They said he was a prophet who did miracles. He was a mighty teacher. We had hoped that he had been the Messiah that we were all waiting for. The reality is, is sometimes the world, sometimes us, we misunderstand who Jesus was. We look at him and we go, yeah, he was a great teacher. He was very wise. He was very loving. He was very caring. But Lord, God, Mm, I don't know about that one. It surprised me they had this, this limited understanding of Jesus. These are, are men growing up in Jewish uh, families, and so they would know the Old Testament. They would know the first five books, especially, um, of the Scriptures. But Jesus had to go back and, and point out all of these things in the Old Testament that pointed forward to him as the Messiah, right? It's these signposts in, in the Old Testament pointing towards the New Testament reality. I remember several years ago when I was in my 20s, I was substitute teaching in a high school in the suburb of Chicago, and it was the last day before Christmas break, and so not a lot's going on, so we're just talking, and, and I'm asking students what they're doing for Christmas break, and I asked this one student, I'm like, hey, so what are, you, what are you and your family doing for Christmas? And he's like, we don't celebrate Christmas. And he was respectful about it, he was just short. He's like, we don't celebrate Christmas. I'm like, oh. Well, in my head, I'm like, that's a little strange. I'm like, why not? He goes, well, we're Jewish. I'm like, oh. Yeah, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Like, huh, that's interesting. What do I do with this? So I, I just said, I was a fairly young Christian, still only like four years or so. And I was like, well, this is kind of fascinating to me. But, so what about the New Testament? And he goes, well, we don't believe in the New Testament. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? Like, I had no idea how to defend Jesus without the New Testament, right? It was this moment where I'm like, I have to know the Old Testament, because somebody who, who looks at the, old, the New Testament says, no, I don't believe any of that. How do I point them? I, I have to be able to look at the scripture and, and say, somebody stands in front of me and I say, well, what do you think about this? And they, well, I don't believe in your book. How do I defend my faith without the Bible, right? You have to know how to do this. And so from that moment on, I, I got this post-it note and I began to, to write down some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, right? But these guys on the road to Emmaus, they had a limited understanding of Jesus. And sometimes we do too. Like we, we sometimes think of Jesus as born as a baby, died on the cross, rose from the dead. And we limit it to those 30 plus some odd years. But the reality is Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God in three persons. Existed before time began, will exist after time ends. Was the one who created this world according to scripture. And in Colossians says that he holds the universe together. Like we are sitting here, gravity functions, our galaxies are functioning. This is all happening because Jesus is involved right now in this moment. And yet sometimes we think it's just the Jesus in the New Testament. 
We've all been there. Like before we knew Jesus, we were all there. We didn't know who he was. Sometimes, though, we fall back into that. And we begin to diminish our view of Jesus. We begin to make him more manageable, more comfortable. We take our eyes off of the cross. We take our eyes off of the, the empty tomb. We take our eyes off of the, the promises of Jesus returning in the future to, to restore all things, to right all wrongs. And we do this oftentimes in our disappointing times, in our moments of frustration, in our suffering. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves. And we forget that he is walking beside us on this road to Emmaus. I love how the message paraphrase puts John 14, 6 and 7. And Jesus says, I am the road. If you know that from NIV or other translations, it's I am the way, the truth, and life, right? But I love the message because it fit with this series. I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, Jesus says, you would know my Father as well because I am him, God and I are one. From now on, you do know him because you've seen him. When we look at Jesus, we get a glimpse at God. We get to understand who God is and his nature for us, his love for us. So a week or so ago, many of you were on vacation on spring break. Um, I hate all of you that went away on trips. So just, I don't really, but I'm very jealous, right? Uh, while you were all on beaches and road trips and cool places and mountains, I was painting a couple walls. I was cleaning my garage. I went on a walk down my street where I walk all the time. Like, we didn't go anywhere, right? But, but we are. Like, our family's planning a summer vacation, a summer trip. Of course, you know, as soon as we pitched it to my kids, you know, and they was like, yeah, we're going to drive like 18 hours. They're like, what? Like, we're not going. I'm like, fine. Like, Karen and I will go, and we'll fly, since we don't have to pay for your, your airfare, right? <laughs> Works for me. They can go stay with other people. We've all been on a road trip. We've all been on, on a vacation. Have you ever been invited, though, on a journey that had a profound spiritual impact in your life? I, I've had many of these over the years. Uh, missions trips, both domestically and internationally, Right? gone and served some people in some of the worst conditions around the world. Uh, here was a, a picture from a Peru trip a couple years ago. We took a group of high school students down, right? Uh, incredible moments. Uh, a couple years back, we, we did a, a combination mission trip domestically with Youth for Christ, who I now work for, and Great Oaks. I was a youth pastor here. And, and, and the YFC guy is genius, creative guy. He's like, hey, what if we travel to like six or seven different cities around in the Midwest in RVs, and we serve in a variety of contexts, right? We call it the Route 25 trip. And so we, we traveled, and it, it was incredible moments as we got to serve in a variety of social justice issues and, and teachings along the way and, and traveling. And um, unfortunately, YFC Insurance had to pay $65,000 for the damage to the RV that I drove, um, and yet they still hired me. So... <laughs> They forgot about that, evidently. I brought it up to my boss about a year after he hired me. I'm like, that was you? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Um, but it was an incredible trip. Uh, back in 2010, I got invited to go to Israel on a biblical studies tour. And it wasn't just a normal studies tour. Yeah, Simeon, you've gone, right? 
Yeah. So it's not just a normal biblical studies tour. We didn't take a charter bus to the top of the mountain and get off and you teach and you get on the bus and you drive back down. No. We got dropped off at the bottom of the mountain. We had to hike up it, sit in the sun, listen to the teaching, which was phenomenal, and hike back down. Uh, but we spent 16 days there. And I'll never look at scripture again uh, the same way again. It was just incredible, right? And then retreats and weekends and trips and things like that. Here's a picture from ice camp that Kevin took. I think this is middle school uh, ice camp recently, uh, just a, a few months ago, right? Uh, you, you heard in the testimonies here, and Liam this morning in first service was talking about ice camp as well. Uh, just incredible weekends. Uh, but here's the thing. It's really easy to follow Jesus on trips like these. It is. It's really easy to be bold about your faith when you're on a missions trip, when you're not in your hometown. It's really easy to be bold about your faith when you're at Miracle Camp and everybody's hopping and going crazy for Jesus. It's really hard on Monday when you come back. You see, we call these mountaintop moments, but the reality is, is nothing survives on the top of a mountain. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you know there's a certain point where everything stops growing. It's just bare rock and snow and ice, right? And you can't stay up there for a long time. You have to come down off of the mountaintop. See, I think that, that most of our life is routine, mundane days, punctuated by mountaintop moments. But I think it's in these routine, mundane, everyday moments of our life that God wants to grow us spiritually, if we allow him to do so. If we allow him to do so. You see, what we're talking about here is that this road to Emmaus that these two disciples are on and Jesus suddenly appears and walks with them. It's a beautiful metaphor for what's called spiritual formation. Here's a definition for that. It's a process of, of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Let's leave that up there and dissect it a little bit. The process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When you, you make a decision to follow Jesus, what you are saying is, I want to become more and more like Jesus. That when people look at me, they don't see Chris genders, but they see Jesus in the flesh, right? Uh, they see his personality and his character traits being displayed. A am I perfect in that? Absolutely not. Just ask my family, right? I mess it up all the time. Uh, but that's what I'm supposed to do, is become more and more like Jesus Christ. And why? Uh, not for my benefit, but for the glory of God. It's my act of worship to surrender my life to Jesus for the glory of God and for the sake of others. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die to self every day. Uh, to put God first, others second, and ourselves after that. I, I love what the disciples said in Emmaus in verse 32. As Jesus is uh, teaching them about the Moses and the prophets. They said, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? You see, the road to Emmaus is a, a personal invitation to a spiritual journey with Jesus. It's just two friends walking along a road, talking about their Savior. You know, I didn't grow up in the Christian home, and I would go to church occasionally with some friends, and they went there, and, and I didn't really understand all that was going on, but my friends went, and I wanted to be there, and that was awesome. Um, but there were some nights, particularly in high school, when I really started to ask some deep questions of myself and of God and of others. And we had some incredible conversations in the driveway at like 1, 2, 3 in the morning. As we're sitting out into the summer night sky and, and we're just contemplating life and faith. And my friends who understood scripture were challenging me on some things. And it was just amazing moments. When I do premarital counseling with couples, 
I, I talked to him about how our marriages are one of God's greatest tools to help us become like Jesus. Because where else do you have a 24-7 opportunity to be like Jesus? To practice love, service, compassion, forgiveness, restoration. Uh, same thing with our parents, with, with our parenting, right? And we, we all kind of, uh, we don't look at that as a way of becoming like Jesus. And yet, it is God's greatest spiritual discipline for us to do that. I, I think about my friends. I, I try and go on camp, camping trips and bike trips and sit around campfires and have meals with these guys. And these are guys that know me just as well, if not better than Karen. And they know where I struggle, and they know where I succeed, and I know where they struggle and where they succeed. We invite each other into our lives, and particularly when you're on a bike trip like this, we travel for four or five days through the, the national forest. Lots of time to talk. And sometimes it's just pointless conversation, right? I'm not saying it was 24-7 Jesus moments, right? But there were those. There were those moments where it was like, wow. Like, look at the beauty of creation, to, to think that God created all of this, and he cares about me, right? We had those moments. I think about my, my men's group on Wednesday mornings. We meet uh, at the youth center, and we study scripture, and, and, and we go low, and we go slow. Uh, we spend 18 to 24 months on a book of the Bible, and some of the guys in the room are like, yep, been there. I remember a, a young 20-something joined the group and a while back, and I told him, I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for like 14 months, this one book, and he's like, seriously? He's like, you know millennials don't commit to anything that long, right? And I'm like, I know, but hang with us. Hang with us. I, I think about my coworkers, both at YFC and at Metamora High School, the opportunities for conversations. Uh, I, I co-teach in a classroom. We call it the Academic Resource Center. And I co-teach with a woman who, who's a believer, and uh, she runs Tudor Hall. I run Credit Recovery. And uh, we have 25 minutes in the day, our lunch hour, when we don't have students in the room. So we've taken to kicking them out, locking the door, because they keep wanting to come back. I don't know why. Um, they keep wanting to come back. And, and this is our time. And, and Heather Lynn and I spend a lot of time talking about our faith, talking about politics, trying to figure out uh, how should our faith interpret uh, our worldview, affect how we view things that are happening in the world around us. Like, it's some deep conversations that we have in that 25 minutes. And those are all moments of spiritual formation. It's all moments of helping me become more and more like Jesus for God's glory and for the sake of others. I found it interesting that Luke doesn't name the second person on the road. We see the name Cleopas, but we don't see the other name, right? And theologians have speculated who that could be. They think it could be his wife. They think it could be a friend, you know, just another unnamed individual. But one author I read, John Gilman, he suggested that Luke's failure to identify the traveling companion is an invitation to insert ourselves into the story, to imagine us there with Cleopas talking with Jesus about Jesus. John Mossy, another pastor, writes that meditating upon the Emmaus pilgrimage may help us when we experience our own dark nights of the soul. During difficult times in life, we should realize, Mossy writes, we should realize that Jesus compassionately walks as a friend with us on our journey, empathetically listening to our sorrows and hesitations and accompanying us as we go through the process of inner healing. I love this, this invitation to insert myself into this story, to imagine walking that dusty road with Jesus and Cleopas, to understand that, that Jesus walks beside me through not just the good times and I celebrate when everything's going well, but especially in the disappointing times, in the dark days, the difficult days. And, you know, I've been following Jesus now for about 28 years. I, I came to Christ in college. 
And I've been growing ever since. Like, I, I'm no expert in this book. I may know a little bit. I may have gone to seminary, but I don't know this book as well as I should, right? I'm growing. Hopefully, I'm growing every year, that every year I'm getting better and better about being a follower of Jesus. I, I love our mission statement here at church, helping people take their next step towards God. It's recognizing that we are on this lifelong journey to become like Jesus. And whether you've been walking with him for 70 seconds or 70 years, everybody has a next step. Eugene Peterson, who, who wrote the paraphrase, the message, uh, he wrote, a, a, he's a pastor, just incredible pastor's heart, and he's an author. One of the books he wrote back in the 80s uh, was a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. We see Jesus, and, and I'm going to go in that same direction for a lifetime. I love the subtitle of his book, Discipleship in an Instant Society. This was in the 80s. This is before iPhones and social media and all that, right? Like, I didn't think the 80s were an instant society, but <clears throat> it evidently was. I wonder what he would write today about our society. We all know this. We all, we all know that there are some things that only come through a long commitment, a long obedience in the same direction. Think about investing, saving money, right? You don't, you don't wait to start saving for retirement when you're 65. That'd be foolish, you start when you're younger, and you put away money over time, and you save, and you save, and you save. You want to pay cash for a car. You're not going to, most often, can't just go to the bank and grab $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 out of your bank account. You've got to save up money over time, set it aside in that, right? We understand this long obedience in the same direction. Think about health and fitness. I wish one workout would fix me, but I keep getting surprised every day when I'm like, oh, I have to exercise again. <laughs> when is this going to change? I have to eat broccoli again. I don't want to eat broccoli. I want donuts, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Think about parenting. I've got a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. Do I know how to parent a 19 to 16-year-old? Well, I've kind of learned over 19 years, right? You don't learn this stuff right off the bat, right? Derek with Baxter, right? You don't know how to parent a teenager. You'll discover when he's a teenager, which is about 12 to 15 years, right? Like, we learn parenting over the long haul. And the same is true for spiritual formation. But for whatever reason, sometimes we think that as soon as we say yes to Jesus, we've got it all figured out. Like, that's it. I, I'm heading in the direction of Jesus. And then we get blindsided by something. We're like, whoa, what do we do with that? We take one step forward and three or four or seven steps back. And we're like, whoa, why, why did I do that? That's not what I wanted to do. Some of you grew up in the church, and so you know what I'm talking about. You know this, this long obedience in the same direction. Some of you are, are here today, and you don't even know if you believe any of this, and that's okay. We're glad you're here too. We are all on a journey with Jesus, every one of us. And what, what sometimes we don't realize is that God has been pursuing us even before we realized it. All the people that got baptized today, God, God was pursuing them as soon as they were born, probably before they were born, right? God's God. But their whole life, God has been pursuing them. And at some point, they realized that, and their, their hearts softened towards Jesus, and they, they made a proclamation to say yes to Jesus. And then they learned about baptism, so they decided to take a step of baptism. And following baptism, they're going to learn about the next step, and the next step, and the next step. We're all on this journey with Jesus. So I want to I close out with some homework. You know, I'm a teacher, so i got to give you some homework. Because the real heart, the real, the real impact of this message is not these 30 minutes or so that I'm talking up here. It's you stepping back and looking at your life and saying, how is God shaping me? 
How is he molding me into being like Jesus? What is he using to do that? Andy Stanley wrote a book called Five Things That Make You Grow. A phenomenal book, phenomenal teaching series. And I just really quickly want to unpack some of that for you. So five things. Number one, he talked about practical teaching. You know, just down-to-earth practical teaching. So when I, I didn't grow up in the church, so when I went to that little church with my friends, it was an independent, fundamentalist, Baptist, Bible-preaching, I can't even say it, independent, fundamentalist, Bible-preaching Baptist. I didn't know what that meant. My friends were there. I'm going to go, right? They sang hymns, which I love hymns, and they used the King James Version of the Bible, which is fine. If you like the King James Version, that's fine. You also like Shakespeare, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> But as a 12-year-old, I had no clue. I was fascinated by this book, but I had no clue what I was reading. And then when I got to college and, and I accepted Christ and I joined this campus ministry because I was dating this girl. It's always the girls, right? They draw me in. Um, uh, you meet Jesus through this girl, right? And so I meet Jesus because she's like, you, you need to go to this campus ministry. And, and so I walk in and they're using the NIV translation of the Bible. And I, was, I didn't know there was anything other than the King James. So there's a step towards Jesus, right, in growing spiritual formation. Oh, wow, I can understand this. And our campus pastor was, was an incredible communicator and just taught in such practical ways that, that applied Scripture to my life. And I loved it. And I began to see my own story in the pages of Scripture. Again, I'm not knocking King James Version of the Bible or anything like that. I'm just saying for me, NIV, NLT, and now the CSB was a step for me to understand God better. And it began to grow. And I like to think that we here at Great Oaks, that we provide you with practical teaching, both on the stage, but also in our youth ministries and children's ministry and our small groups, our huddle groups, our, all of these things, right? Uh, practical teaching. I think, secondly, providential relationships. God will put people in your life to help you grow, draw nearer to God. For me, it was Lauren Trethaway, who I've talked about for many of you heard that, that name before. But here was a man in, when I was in my 20s that, that took me under his wing and for 18 years was my mentor. Helped me understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a, a husband who loves God and loves his wife, a, a father, a pastor. I am who I am today because God orchestrated it to put Lauren Trethaway in my life. Some of you have your own Laurens. Some of you are looking for a Lauren Trethaway. Thirdly, Andy talks about private disciplines. Things like prayer. Bible study, fasting, giving, serving, all of these things, right? Things that, that we do because as we do them, our hearts become more like Jesus, right? Do we really want to give up our money? No. But God wants to know that you love him more than your money. He doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. Do we really need to spend time? It's really hard to get up every morning and read this book for 30 minutes, like, I blow it most days. Like, I don't do this that well, right? And I know I should. But it's, it's a, a spiritual discipline, a private discipline that God wants to use to shape me to become more like Jesus. Think about personal ministry. Andy goes on. He says, number four is personal ministry. Uh, there is something in this world. There's an injustice. There's an issue. There is a, a, a social justice issue that God has uniquely drawn your heart towards. And what he wants you to do is to use your life experience, your education, your background, everything that you've gone through to serve other people. Remember the definition of spiritual formation, for the glory of God and the sake of others. And so what is it that God is calling you to do to, to use your individual unique life to make a difference in this world for God, to bring heaven down to earth? 
You know, I think about uh, George Tassif. Some of you may know George. He was a former member of the church here, beloved guy. He was part of our men's fraternity. He loved men's fraternity and the, the transformation that happened in our lives as all the guys who were a part of that. And, and he was embarrassing in his, his praise with me for that. He's like, Chris, that was an amazing experience. We need that again. <clears throat> like, God did a great, incredible things in there. And I'm like, George, stop. Like, stop, stop. And he went on to another church, and he joined the board of Dream Center Peoria. He's a lawyer. He's a federal defense attorney. He was the lead federal defense attorney for Peoria. And in that role, he saw it as his job to minister to people who had committed crimes and who were accused of crimes. It's like a police officer that arrests somebody, and then while they're handcuffed, tells them about Jesus, right? Um, <clears throat> captive audience. So George would use his position to, to, you know, appropriately teach and model Jesus. And, and he loved coming alongside individuals and families who didn't have wills, didn't have the money to pay for a will. And he's like, everybody needs a will. And he's like, I'll do wills for free for anybody that wants one. He, he did our first will, right? Just an incredible man of God. I think of him because he passed away last week. He was driving to Bloomington Normal and pulled over on the side of the interstate and called his wife because his, something wasn't right. He had a heart attack. You read his obituary and his legacy of care for other people. It was never about him. It was always about other people. We need people, more people like George. I hope I can be like George. And, and then lastly, Andy says, God uses pivotal circumstances, both good and bad to draw you towards Jesus, to become more like Jesus. I think about my own childhood. I had a decent childhood, but my parents divorced when I was in high school. My dad had been on the road Monday through Friday. So I had this, what I learned in men's fraternity was I had this absent father wound, and I didn't know it. I didn't have language for it. I just felt it. I began to grow in men's fraternity to understand that. And it was about three years ago, I was out on a walk one night, because you got to exercise every day, evidently. I was out on a walk, and I'm listening to Good, Good Father, that song. And in the moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, he goes, Chris, you realize that's why you like working with students, right? I went, what? He goes, because your dad was gone all the time. So you want to be a second dad to students. And I literally stopped in my track, like the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, and I'm like, is that true? God, is that real? Like, is that why I love working with students? Is because of this, this wound that I have from my childhood? And he's like, absolutely. I'm glad it took you 20 years to figure this out, Chris, right? Baby steps. Sometimes it's horrible circumstances. Sometimes it's loss of a loved one. It's a cancer diagnosis. It's a broken relationship. Heartache, disappointment, frustration. And God is there in the midst. And he's saying, I want to use this if you'll let me. If you'll just surrender this moment to me, I'm going to use it to, to draw you closer to me. Will you allow him to do so? I don't know where everybody's at on their journey with Jesus. Some of you are, are looking at the map, you're looking at the app on your phone for what it means to follow Jesus, and you're like, I don't know if I can trust this. I know the way, I'll, I'll figure it out. I don't, I don't need directions. And you're like, I, I, just, I can't trust this. Some of you have, have just started out. Everything's new, everything's fresh, right? All the snacks are there, gas tank's full, you're ready to go. Some of you have been driving down the road for a long, long time. 
when you broke down on the side of the road, tires falling apart, engines not working, and you've actually, you've actually settled there, like you're content. I'm okay. I, I got Jesus. I got my ticket to heaven. I don't need to worry about this other stuff. Some of you, though, like you're discovering new things around every corner. Like every day with Jesus is like, oh my goodness, I didn't know God could be that good. And that's incredible. We celebrate you in that moment. Some of you are near the end of your journey. And you know it. Doctors have told you that. And you're looking at what's beyond when you get to your destination. And, and you've discovered that there is incredible glory on the other side of death. And you cannot wait. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but will you allow Jesus to walk with you, to draw you into deeper relationship with him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this series as we've looked at the life of Jesus. We've seen all that he went through in his few years here on earth. Father, would you give us a, a glimpse and an understanding of Jesus that goes far beyond those 33 years? Father, would your spirit just open our eyes to see how you're working in our life and how you're drawing us closer to you and how your, your heartbeat is for us. You are jealous for us. Father, when our eyes stray, when we're going a different direction than where you want us to go, you're jealous for us. And you're going to do everything you can to, to steer us back in the right direction. Father, thank you. Would we accept that correction? And Father, would our lives be marked by moments of just pure joy in your presence? Father, lives that while they are going to have trouble and they're going to be difficult at times, and they're going to be a hard heartbreak and disappointment and frustration. And yet even in those, we can still cry out that you are a good, good father. As we sing this closing song, Reckless Love, Father, would your spirit just remind us of the depth of your love for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.